This is the Bushwick Variety Show. And I'm Alec the Third. Greetings, neighbors, friends, citizens of the world, and conscious beings of all various types. Thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. This episode features Matthew Carey. Matthew Carey was a fellow alum of mine of the Big Ideas Lab, um, which may still have some slots open, so check that out at jenwaldman.com. You can follow her on Instagram if you want to find out more about that. But that was a truly game-changing experience. If you have a big idea, a workshop you're trying to build, a keynote speech you're trying to write, if you want to give a TED Talk and then lead workshops sharing your big idea so that people can you know, spread that idea through the world, I highly recommend the Big Ideas Lab, both working with uh, Jen Waldman and Peter Shepard, um, but then the wonderful co- cohort of people that you're going to be working with artists and entrepreneurs from all over the world. That is where I met Matthew Carey. And Matthew Carey is talking to us today all the way from Australia. So different time zone, um, different day, different season, um, but a wonderful um, and kindred spirit and mind. So I'm very glad that I got to meet Matthew Carey in the Big Ideas Lab. And in that lab, he was working on building Audience by Design, um, which I have the great privilege of being able to go through the beta workshop of that. But the actual workshop is starting up um, pretty soon. Uh, it starts up actually at the end of this month, March 29th. So I highly recommend signing up for that if you are interested in building a email list um, and kind of a marketing system for artists and creatives to have meaningful conversations with the audience that you want to build um, and engage with. So just how to do that. Um, and this is a really brilliant concept because a lot of successful entrepreneurs do this very well. Um, and as artists, a lot of times um, we don't take advantage of these tools that are available. So it's a six-week class. You can check it out. Like I said, the links are in the show notes. I personally endorse it and hope you will. Um, It's just a great way to build your platform. And I can tell you some of the artists that I'm looking to and kind of trying to learn from are doing just what Matthew Carey uh, is teaching in this course. They're doing it in a a very well and effective way. And, And yeah, and that's where I'm trying to go. Uh, so if you're a creative, um, if you're an artist, uh, if you kind of want to build your own audience, you should definitely sign up for this course. Uh, you should also check out and subscribe to The Infinite Creative. That's Matthew's blog um, and also his Studio Time podcast where he has conversations with artists and innovators um, about you know change-making ideas and narratives. So that's Matthew Carey. Um, We're going to talk about this more. So I'm going to stop talking about what we're talking about and share this wonderful conversation with Matthew Carey, audience by design. Let's have a conversation. Alan, how are you? Oh, my video. There we go. (laughs) Uh, Do we have a lag, I wonder? Maybe. It seems like maybe we do. Yeah, I'm having... Not the best day uh, with with my devices. Okay. All right. It seems like we might be linking up all right now. 
Uh, a one, two, three, four, four, five, six. Oh yeah, we're pretty close. All right, cool. Um, I think it it took me forever to to get through the the portals um, yes. to to here, but here we are. Matthew Carey, how are you? I am very well. What's going on with you today? Well, it's still early here. The day is still full of potential. Um, I got up. I've been doing some journaling each morning, the morning pages. Uh, so I did that. I had some a quick bit of breakfast to try and make sure my stomach didn't rumble during the interview because I find that that can be a thing. And uh, I'm just working my way through my second cup of coffee. So hopefully um, I'll have... I'll be awake and have something to say. Now, um, you said you do journaling every morning. You also uh, write, write a blog every day, right? Yeah, that's the goal. There are, there are a few days that I don't make it, but yeah, I'm aiming to write a, a blog post each day. And I do them, I do them separately, although sometimes there's a, a kernel of an idea in the morning pages, which I then develop and use that later on during the day to write the blog post. And how long have you been doing each of those? The, the blogging I've been doing off and on for about four years, I'd say. But out of those four years, there'd be definitely be longer stretches where it was off than what it was on. Uh, in this current phase, I think I started in March and I think I, I did a little tally, but I can't remember. I think I got something like 150 posts perhaps last year. And this year I've been a little bit more consistent. I've been pretty close to publishing every day. Uh, it's, you know, like anything I think that we aim to do every day, there is something about, about the momentum of keeping the streak going. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important, but then I also have to be careful that I don't beat myself up if I do miss a day because sometimes that can mess with my mess with my brain and stop me from doing something that you know the the day after the day I missed. I found that a bit last year I I skipped a day and once I missed the first day the the second day was easier to skip and before I knew it there was like a week or a week and a half that had gone by without me really realizing that 10 whole days had gone past without me publishing. How about for you? How are you finding it? Because I know that you're, you're writing and publishing each day as well. Yeah. Um, I've also stopped and started in the past. Um, last year, I'm trying to by lat or two years ago. <laughs> what is time? Um, yeah. I think the summer of 2019, I was, I, I tried to start it up um, on medium and so I was going for every day. And then I, I ran into that thing where when I missed a day, um, then maybe I could get back on. But then a few days later, I missed. So it was like a lot of stops and starts. Um, I think during the pandemic, I've looked at the time that we have and the, the major change that the world is going through as an opportunity to develop new habits that I want and hopefully to let go of some others that I don't. Um, sometimes I find myself 
like playing a video game when I know I shouldn't, um, or, you know, watching something when I know I shouldn't, or just going down the social media rabbit hole. But this current streak, I think as long as I write something tonight, um, that'll be 44 tonight. And there's something about, and I'll probably write about this at some point, but there's something about this time saying, I'm going to go a hundred days of blogging every day. I have done morning pages on some of the days, but really like only a handful, um, kind of just because I think taking on both of those right now, as much as I would like to, is too much. So kind of the blogs are, you know, they're public, but they're also kind of morning pages sometimes more so, um, even if they happen at 11.30 at night or something. <laughs> um, yeah. I've taken a lot of um, inspiration from Seth Godin, who, of course, yeah. famously has blogged every day for years and years now. And he seems to have, I mean, he is more disciplined about it than I am, but he seems to have a good approach to it. And I try and, and learn from that. I, if I waited until I had something to write, then I wouldn't write nearly as regularly as what I do. And sometimes it takes, it takes me sitting down and actually starting to type. Sometimes I start typing about one thing and what I end up blogging about is something else because another idea comes to me. And so there's something about just sitting down at the computer and, and getting my fingers moving that helps my brain start to process in a different way. I can sometimes have been spending, like it's been in the back of my mind all day. What am I going to write about later on? What am I going to write about? And it's not until I sit down at the keyboard that an idea comes. And yeah. the, other th the other things I try not to, I try not to judge it too much. I'll try and make the post clear and I try and aim to, to be concise where, where that makes sense. And I do revise it a couple of times. And I think to myself, am I clear? Am I clear about what I'm trying to say here so that it will be reasonably clear to somebody else. But in terms of how it lands with the people that read, read that post, I don't know. And I don't, you know, I, I do it on Substack, So it goes out in a, an email post each day. I don't, I see some, metrics on the dashboard of Substack, but I don't really know who's opening the posts each day. Um, often I don't know what their response is, whether they just glanced at it and they thought, oh, that's too long, I'm going to skip it, or whether they re read it and they thought, oh, that's really cool, and then they went on with their day. But every now and then somebody comes to me and um, tells me that they found a post that I wrote was really helpful or really moving, and you know, sometimes that's a post that I've forgotten about because it was three weeks ago. I've 20 posts on since then. And there's something about that, just knowing that the fact that I put it in the world, that maybe it will, maybe for some people it will, they'll they kind of just walk right on by it. But for some people, it's the post they need to read at the time they need to read it. So, yeah. Yeah. That's been the big thing for me. Like those, yeah, like metrics, they're kind of hard to read. And also it's not 
about the metrics. Like it is, that's something, but it's more about that person um, and that message going where it's needed, you know? I mean, Seth talks about the size of your audience and a lot of us, we start writing and myself included, and we wish that maybe more people were reading because maybe that would help us feel like we were doing more important work or that we were more worthy. But Seth talks about the idea of, you know, when you've only got a relatively small audience and I would call my audience relatively small, you can mess up in front of them and it doesn't really matter too much. But once you've got a thousand or 10,000 or a hundred thousand readers, then you say something in the wrong way, then a lot more people are going to notice. And, and sometimes when the numbers get that big, the, the whole experience feels a little less personal. And I think this is one of the things that's interesting to me about the different places in the internet, on the internet that we show up, that when we show up in places that are impersonal, then people don't necessarily treat us as human in the way that they respond to what we're sharing and what we're writing. So quite often, I think, on some social media, things that people do and say are taken out of context. Um, and then it's also very easy to spread stuff there and you can create a wave of hate for one of the different, uh, hate for the one of a better word, but, um, you know, anti, anti-sentiment uh, where it's not necessarily warranted. Someone might have just made a mistake or, you know, they're, mm-hmm. then they're human and imperfect. Uh, yeah, and it also, I think, like with writing and building an audience, writing, you know, we're talking about writing at the moment, but kind of you also get better. And so it's a chance to like grow an audience while you in real time are getting better. Um, I always say nobody wrote a book before they wrote a book. Nobody wrote a thousand blog posts until they wrote a thousand blog posts. So it's sort of, yeah, like you are improving and people that want to come along for the ride, they are with you and seeing the growth in real time. Um, And then other people who come and check it out later can look back on that growth. And I think that's what I've found. Also, we both have podcasts and it's, yeah, a similar thing where it's like you record these conversations and years later, somebody can be listening to something that has already like passed, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, if this was just you and I on a Zoom call and we weren't recording it, then, you know, the the good bits of what we, we find to discuss today uh, would just be gone. They'd be ephemeral. They'd be gone as we said them. But there's something about recording this that you and I can go back and refer to later that somebody else will listen to and, you know, they'll find their own nuggets of usefulness in there, hopefully. And so I think that's great. And I was thinking this idea sort of just came to me as, as we were speaking that sometimes we don't feel like we have the audience that we deserve, but I wonder how 
things would change if we flipped it and told ourselves, right now I have exactly the audience I deserve. Yeah. And that's, that's, I think, I think what I was trying to get at also with improving, realizing, I think I have potential. I think I have a lot of good ideas and I think I do have some skills and I have some things to offer, but have I put in the 10,000 hours and everything that I say, even if it's pretty good? Cause I think a lot of people also, it's like when you're in classes, like when you're around people who are trying to get to that next level, a lot of people who are in those classes with you are going to be on a similar level to you because, because there's the belief that, Oh, I, I think I can get to that next level. So they have enough in them to kind of know and take steps forward. Um, but that doesn't mean that while we both you and I, while we both are taking, you know, Seth Godin's advice to heart in a lot of ways, writing publicly regularly. We also have podcasts. Um, we could be not Seth Godin's, you know, we'll be Matthew Carey's and Alex Stevens the thirds. We could be peers of him at some point. But right now, I think it would be arrogant to think that we already are just because for the pure fact of that I know for a fact I haven't put in the hours that he has yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I've been following Seth's daily blog probably coming on close to 10 years now. But as long as I've been following him, he was writing that blog for five or 10 years before that. Uh, I think of somebody else who shows up with, you know, regularity, someone like Gary V who shows up, you know, on social media, he's, you know, every third post seems to be a Gary V post on, on my <laughs> feed. Uh, but as big and as popular and as much attention as he gets now, I mean, he's earned that over time. He wasn't this Gary V five years ago, and he wasn't that Gary V 10 years before that. Uh, and I think, yeah, I'm, just sort of riffing on what you were saying as well. And I think there's something about the mindset when we think we don't have the audience we deserve, then we're kind of, we give ourselves permission just to sit back and wait for the audience to do what we think it's supposed to do. Whereas if we accept that we do have the audience, we have exactly the audience we deserve right now, that motivates us to have the intention to say, okay, well, if this is the audience that I've got right now, how can I serve them best? What's the mm -hmm. best stuff that I can write for them? What's the best stuff that I can record for them for the podcast? What are the best ideas or that I've got to share? Or who do I know who has great ideas that would be good for this audience that I can introduce them to? And then when we constantly look to improve our work with intention, I think then, then that sort of takes it from the next step up from just showing up every day and doing the same thing every day. I'm not, I'm not writing the same post every day. You're not recording the same podcast each episode. We're 
doing it a little bit differently. We're trying to do it a little bit better and we're finding out what we discover along the way. Yeah. I like, it came to me kind of a word we're doing our best today so that we can do better tomorrow, but you have to put it in today. Like you can't expect that if you don't do anything and if you don't like push yourself today, that you're going to be better tomorrow. And in fact, I think you can be worse. Like if, if, you know, if you get rusty, I don't think you're going to (laughs) be, so I'm not saying like, if you miss a post here or there, like, that's not the goal. Like, and, and yeah, this is dangerous talk, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it's that consistency really is what it's all about. And I practice martial arts and that's like, that's all it is. You know? Yeah. Well, I tend to use a lot more metaphors that relate to physical activity and physical exercise than I really ought to. Um, but it's like it's like working out. You you can kind of I guess you could kind of aim for a personal best every time you work out or you train, but that's not realistic. But the point is to show up and train consistently. And the personal bests will will come as a result of that. And sometimes they'll come when you're looking for them, hopefully, either when you're like really going for it or if you're in a competition, you kind of want to do your best at the competition or at the performance for people that are more into the performing arts. Uh, but just the idea that if we show up with intention, then gradually we're going to level up. So speaking of showing up and doing the work consistently, so you have your blog um, and that's the infinite creative. Uh, You also have studio time podcast and you're also a musician. Um, Now these are three things I know about you. What kind of would you say is kind of pulling you or what are you kind of driving for? If you, if you would articulate that um, for yourself. Yeah. I am really fascinated by the idea of connection and how we can bring people together using ideas and stories. I, always like as long as I can remember I'm fascinated by getting to know new people and trying to understand them learn a bit about their stories see what we have in common learn what I can from our differences and that's something that I've been passionate about from you know an early age and I can remember maybe 10 or 15 years ago going to I was invited to this dinner and we were sitting down and I was with a bunch of people I didn't know. And it maybe was a bit obnoxious, but it was fun for me. I was sort of going from person to person just in one-on-one conversations and trying to see how much I could learn about a person in the five or 10 minutes I was chatting to them. And then I'd move on to the next person and learn about them. And then I'd try and bring them together and say, Oh, you guys have this in common. And, you know, Bob, did you know that Rachel does this? And, And I find that interesting. And then as I get older and I look at the world, I see that there are, there seem to be so many things in the world that 
are divisive, that are pushing us apart. And I think that connection is as important or more important than ever. Well, it's definitely as important as ever. Uh, I think we see that in our politics. I think we see it in the way our various medias are kind of pushing us into silos. But I think stories are a really great way to bring people together. I think it's Brene Brown, and I'll butcher this quote, but I think Brene said that I don't, I, I can't hate anybody that I know and I understand. Like I don't necessarily agree with everything they believe and we can have our differences, but I don't hate anybody that I kind of have some sort of connection with. And so I think some of the work that we do in sharing different people's ideas and telling different people's stories, uh, let's other people get to know them and brings them in that way. And it also creates communities where the people that we're bringing together can get to know each other and to learn from each other and to benefit from all the experience that, that each other bring. It's funny that you mentioned that Brene Brown um, concept. Uh, one of the big hot button issues of the past like four years and, and before that, but it's been immigration and kind of a rise of nationalism in different countries around the world. And I know in the US, one of the crazy things about it is here in New York, um, and I realized this the last time I was in the Netherlands, one of the things that I love about New York is if you were to make an avatar of what a New Yorker is, it would be pretty hard to do, or it would have to be like a shapeshifter because really anybody physically, um, economically, uh, religion or not really like any demographic is a New Yorker. Like there is such a diverse place. People are from everywhere here. Nobody owns what a New Yorker is or looks like. Um, and everybody gets along pretty well. Like we, make it work. So it's a place where everybody's kind of pressed together in a, in a small space with a bunch of people from all over the world and all different backgrounds and ideas. And we make it work. And I think my experience anyway is it makes you better. Like you grow as a person by being exposed to all of these different ideas. So in this country, the fear of the immigrant, like some of the places geographically where people have the biggest anti-immigrant mentality are places where they're not actually exposed to immigrants. So they're not actually exposed. So they have this idea and that's what people are afraid of. So it's just like what that, that thing, like they don't actually know what they're afraid of they're afraid of the unknown. So I 100% agree. When you get to know people, it gets harder to hate them. And I think, for me at least, tell me if this is your experience as well. Once I start to know a little bit about somebody or a group of somebodies, it makes me more curious and uh, more curious to know more about them. And it just makes me more... a uh, aware and observant 
of people like them in the community. If I think of one example, I there's a there's an um, an article, a New Yorker article that's called something like the garbage man. It's written by a guy who collects garbage in Cairo, an Egyptian man. And I was always fascinated by this story. And I discovered that there was a book that that story was kind of part of a collection. And I read that book earlier or last year. And this was written by an American journalist, but he'd spent five years living in Cairo. And he talked about the different people and the different places that he experienced while he was in Cairo. And so this opened up my understanding of what Cairo and Egypt was a thousandfold. All the two things I really knew about Egypt before then were the Nile and the pyramids and that um, a friend of a friend of mine from primary school when she was something like eight or ten went on a family trip to, to Egypt and she was proposed to by two Egyptian men while she was there. It was just two like random things but all of a sudden the way this author whose name is Peter Hessler I think described the different characters he met I realized well these Egyptian people they've got a lot in common with me. They've got a lot of the same desires and fears and hopes. Um, They're trying to look out for their family. They're trying to find their way through their career. They're trying to work out how to pay the bills. He talked about a little bit of the social structure of, of Cairo. So I understood that better. So I found the book fascinating. It was really well written. But then not long after that, I saw this TV show called Rami and Rami was about a family and basically an Egyptian-American family. The parents were Egyptian. Their kids were Egyptian-American. And so this was like the Egyptian culture set in New Jersey, I think it was. And so I was able to then, because I knew a little bit more about Egypt and my awareness had been open to it, I was able to collect extra information and then put that in my database of what I know about Egypt and people from Egypt and from that part of the world. And it makes me like now I, now if I hear that somebody is Egyptian, I kind of have a little bit more understanding of not necessarily their personal background, but like just the cultural background and what that means. Because otherwise, I mean, you can't, you know, people listening can't see me, but I'm a pretty average looking white Australian. So I um, live with that privilege and that kind of um, kind of vision that I, well, that's how I grew up. And so understanding different cultures is something that I've had to, to explore and, and learn how to do, but gee, my life is so much richer as I've been, you know, doing more and more of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, when did you start your podcast? I started my podcast in 2018. I think the first episode was in September of 2018. The The background to that was that I've been listening to podcasts for ages. I think I was a pretty early adopter. I was one of the first people that I knew that was listening to podcasts. And I always, I, I love the idea of them. 
I don't, I don't know whether other people find this, but I think that I reached an age where commercial radios just stopped being interesting, like at a certain point. Just the music was sometimes still good, but just the, the chat in between the songs just drove me nuts. So then I kind of moved to AM radio where they tended to have more interesting stories. We have stations in Australia that are a little bit more like your NPR stations. And um, the thing I loved about podcasts is when you found something that you liked listening to, you could dig into it and listen to more and more of that. You, It's a bit like, you know, Netflix is for us now. We can choose what we watch rather than just scanning the networks and seeing what's available. And I thought, you know, I think making a podcast would be really cool, but I kept telling myself, well, but what right do I have to have a podcast? Who would want to hear from me? And so I didn't do anything about it. Kim Ferris came along, started his podcast. I listened to the stories about how he got started with that. And I've stored them in the back of my mind. I'm back to Seth Godin again. Seth was holding his first podcasting workshop where he was inviting a recent school graduates to come along and learn about podcasting online and like an online workshop. And I actually encouraged my son, Josh, and I signed him up for it because I thought he was at a point where he wasn't quite sure what his next step was going to be. And I thought that maybe podcasting would be an interesting way for him to try out some different skills, maybe get to have conversations like you and I are having with different people. Well, Josh didn't really get that inspired by the workshop, but I was watching it over his shoulder and I eventually said to myself, well, if I think that this is something that would be useful for Josh and that Josh could do, why am I t- still telling myself that I couldn't do it? And so then I remembered what Tim Ferriss had done. And when Tim started his podcast, which has turned out to be ridiculously success- successful, he said, I'm just going to, I think he said, I'm just going to make half a dozen episodes. And if I do that and and they suck, then at least I will have done that experiment. I will have tried it and I'll know. And if I get to half a dozen and I enjoy doing it, then I can do half a dozen more. So I, in 2018, wrote uh, down the, my plan for making 12 episodes of a, of a podcast I called Studio Time. And I said to myself, this is the plan. This is the goal. If I get 12 done and I think, that's it, this is not for me, then at least I can have the satisfaction of having started that process and finished it. And so I went through the journey of getting set up. Um, there were plenty of podcasters out there, but I didn't really know any of them personally at that point. So I was kind of working out what to do on my own a little bit and asking a few friends for advice. And I made the first 12 and I was lucky enough to have some conversations with people that I admired from afar for a long time. And even more interestingly, I was able to have conversations with friends and colleagues in a way that was different than when we just sat down at, you know, at dinner or with a beer. So there's something about the nature of a podcast conversation I find that encourages you to go a little bit deeper or maybe explore some themes that you wouldn't necessarily do day to day. So to um, sort of cut to the chase, I made the first 12 and I enjoyed it so much that I just kept the ball rolling. And so I, I'm sure that you find this 
creating a podcast on your own is not a small endeavor. And so I sort of go through fits and starts a little bit, uh, but I've got, I think, 55 episodes that I've recorded and released over the past two years now. So it continues to be something that I work on and, and it brings me a lot of joy and I'm glad to be able to have these conversations and elevate the people that I get to talk to so they can so the people in my community can get to know and learn from them. Yeah, it's a strange, I was gonna ask about how your consistency is. Uh, it sounds like we, we started around the same time um, and anybody, uh, I'm sure I've lost people even along the way because of my sometimes inconsistency, but, but yeah, but one of the things about it, and I think this speaks to Seth Godin's point is yeah, there have been times when people have reached out to me and sometimes it's people wanting to come on the show and other times it's people, I don't know, responding to something. And for me, it's like, of course it would be great to have like Tim Ferriss level success. Um, but the point is that somebody's listening somebody's getting value for it and it's both you and i primarily talk to artists right so it's also, yeah so it's also within our community and like you said it's it's something that like inherently i feel like i grow from the doing like even this we've had a lot of actual conversations over the past few months but this is probably the longest conversation that we've had one-on-one -on -one, you know absolutely yeah and there's still lots more for us to learn about each other and from each other i'm sure mm -hmm. uh, i mean the thing about tim ferris as an example tim already had uh, like a substantial audience yeah from his books he'd already released like three or four books by the time he started the podcast. So it's not like he was unknown and without an audience. He, his audience and his audience were probably tending towards being podcast listeners already just by the, the nature of the books he wrote. Uh, he was, I don't know when he talked about writing the four hour work week that he was writing it for, for guys like him that were in there early to mid twenties at the time they were in the tech and business areas there. And, you know, and certainly Tim's books are in the self development space and his podcast is in the self development space. So it was a natural fit for those readers that knew that he was making a podcast to make the shift from his written word to his spoken word. One of the things that I find challenging and interesting as a podcaster and I think this probably applies to our different endeavors as well, is to, to think about, well, how can, I, how can I make this something that I create in a way that is, is sustainable and is something that I can make manageable? And for me, one of the things that I've really been struggling with for a bit lately is the amount of time I I tell myself that I need to spend editing my episodes. I spend an inordinate amount of time 
editing them because I've told myself that's part of my podcast. But that means that, you know, I, you know, we'll spend an hour or two on this call recording this, the audio, audio we want to use, but I'll often spend 12 or 20 hours then editing it, which I think is not really that useful. And I think that I have like the, the what's this called? The cycle of diminishing returns at some point. I could maybe just get the episode out there a little more imperfectly and let people hear it so that I can move on and record the next episode because I think that perhaps the ideas are, I mean, the audio quality and having something that's nice to listen to is important, but it's ultimately the ideas that people are coming from. I mean, nobody with a few exceptions, maybe something like Song Exploder, there's a couple of podcasts that are, their um, sound design is so exquisitely part of the product that, you know, you couldn't necessarily do it without that. But for a lot of these conversational and interview style podcasts, I think we've, as podcast listeners, we've come to, especially over the pandemic, we've come to accept a lot less in terms of audio quality. I know that I listen to some podcasts like, um, Debbie Millman usually recorded her episodes, her conversations and interviews in a studio. So they had really nice quality audio because they're both sitting at nice mics in a soundproof room. And now she's recording her interviews over Zoom like we are. But a number of her guests don't have microphones like you and I do. So they literally just set their iPhones on voice memo record and sit them in front of them. And I think someone... It's those two pieces of audio together. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't necessarily need, you know, studio quality audio the same way that I tell myself that I need it. Mm -hmm. Says he, as everybody can probably hear the truck driving past my, my house right now. All good. And like, that was the decision I made early on was kind of inspired by like WTF, of course. So I was doing in-person interviews and did have a relatively soundproof room that I was working out of that I don't have anymore. Um, and yeah, only did in-person and in-person interviews and had like decent equipment. But as far as that, like I didn't do too much editing. I just put an intro, outro, and then I have my music on the beginning and the end. But still over time, it still adds up like over a long period of time, all the steps that go into recording, even the limiting edit, even the limited editing I do, and then publishing, um, which is why I think Clubhouse has kind of exploded, is there are a bunch of people who have always thought, oh, I want a podcast, oh, I want to be on a radio show and so it's kind of genius this that app have you explored clubhouse at all i have uh i got an invite so i've gotten into clubhouse but really i've only listened to i don't even know what they call it like one meet or one session so far uh i think it's i think it's interesting i think the because clubhouse meetings aren't recorded right they right they're live they're ephemeral again mm-hmm. um 
I think there's something about the convenience. I think that there is something about that sort of situation and platform that speaks to the culture that we are creating today. Like you and I are recording this and we have the, the benefit and the visual feedback of being able to see each other and hear each other on a Zoom call. Um, but, you know, to be honest, we don't know if anybody else is ever going to hear this conversation. Whereas on Clubhouse, I guess you can see who's in the room and the number of people that are there. So you're getting some, um, some immediate feedback and validation, if that's what you're looking for. So I think that's interesting. But it's also seems to be interesting that it is democratizing networks or flattening networks a little bit so that there's a chance that you and I could get in the room with a room with someone like Scooter Braun or I don't know if Gary Vee's in there, but, you know, there's a chance we could sort of show up in that same room, whereas normally, you know, we wouldn't get invites to those physical locations where those guys hang out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like it's, uh, you know, it's social media. I don't know that I need one more social media rabbit hole. I did, like I joined on Monday officially, I think, and I have gone down a couple of rabbit holes there, just kind of exploring it. I think it's nice because I do think everybody everybody wants to be heard ultimately. So I think it's a good opportunity for people to be heard. That said, I don't think podcasts are going anywhere because they're just their own thing. Um, that's not to say oh, Clubhouse isn't going, like, I think it's definitely also going to be probably the next, like, big social media place. The thing, though, that I, I guess, like, a frustration that I have with conversations and kind of a frustration I have with social media sometimes is, and with, like, the podcast world, too, I feel this, where it's, like, the and I think Seth Godin kind of speaks to this sometimes but where it's like everybody yeah he calls it everybody racing to the bottom and so it's like everybody trying to sell the same thing the same way and so on there what I kind of see sometimes is like everybody's trying to establish themselves as an expert and then kind of name dropping and it's hard not to do it yourself like when you get into conversations there so yeah i don't know it's an exploration well and you know it's i think feel like this ties in something else another topic that you and i have discussed sort of offline the idea of building assets and certainly if you watch um that netflix documentary about social media that came out Earlier in social dilemma yeah which yeah. sort of outlines it and really demonstrates it quite clearly that you know with a lot of the social media apps the app is not really the product the the you user are. becomes the product uh that we can spend hours days weeks months in clubhouse but what do we really have to show for it at the end? Maybe there's a little bit of networking going on and that can be valuable, 
But in the meantime, the valuation of Clubhouse is skyrocketing and we're sinking our time into it and we don't really have, we're not building an asset of our own out of this unless somehow you've managed to be an early stage investor in, in Clubhouse. Whereas with a podcast, you know, for what it's worth, you're building up uh, an asset of episodes that that exist beyond the time that you spend creating them. And like we've talked about that people can, you know, people can hear this episode when it first comes out. There's every chance that they could discover it a year later or five years later down the track when, you know, maybe they want to go back and say and find out what were Alec the third and Matthew Carey doing back in 2021, or maybe that's just a time when they're starting that journey. Like, I can read what's the the great book by Seth Godin, the Lynchpin. Mm-hmm. I know people that are just discovering Lynchpin now, and it's changing their life now. You know, I read that book 2014, 2015, and it changed my life then. But it wasn't new then; it had been around for a few years already at that point. Sometimes we just like step into the part of the journey that it's our time for, and we discover what we need to discover. But if Seth had just riffed about those ideas on Clubhouse, then nobody could hear them today. Like they would yeah. have happened, and they would have disappeared back in 2011 or whenever. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of conversations at a bar like the great inventions um ideas that have been developed one night at a bar that never like never nothing ever happens sometimes they do like there has to be the action but i think yeah that's that's the thought i had about okay am i gonna because i was weary about even opening up the Pandora's box of clubhouse. But I think one of the the key things is, yeah, what am I, what am I doing every day to like create the change I say I want to see in my life and in the world. And so for me, it's like, yeah, are you writing? Um, Meditation has been another one for me. Martial arts isn't every day, but I try, I try to do something physical and it's, it's a lot, a lot of days a week. Um, and then, yeah, like playwriting it's, but it's these things that, that, yeah, you don't get the instant validation for, but you create a body of work that actually is focused and concrete and, and growing. Can I cycle back to the idea of blogging every day then? Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that I've been trying to do, because I find myself listening to a lot of podcasts. My podcast listening habit has changed a little bit since in the last year. I've spent more time indoors, less time walking to work and back. Again. Right. I, you know, I would often walk on my commute, but I had a commute. And I'd travel places each day and I don't do that quite so much. And I'm not as likely to sit down and open up and listen to a podcast when I'm sitting on the sofa, but I still listen to a lot. And I realized that I was listening and consuming a lot of information that I was interested in, but I wasn't necessarily creating much action or, Mm -hmm. you know, synthesizing it um, in a useful way. And so the blogging 
is an opportunity to do that. And I've been trying to be a bit more intentional and mindful about getting to the end of a, a podcast episode and really thinking about what is it that I want to take away from here? If I wanted to try and communicate one message to somebody else about this episode, or if I wanted to sort of store one idea from this episode in the back of my mind, what would I like it to be? And now that I have a blog that I write and I tend to write my blog sort of in the afternoon or in the early evening, um, that's a good way and a good opportunity for me to synthesize the ideas that have been sort of floating around in my universe during the day. And so those things sort of serve each other a little bit. Do you mm -hmm. find anything similar? Yeah, definitely. Um, and this year kind of, you were talking about it earlier, how sometimes, especially with blogging, there have been times when I've sat down I mean, like today's the day where I don't have any, like there's nothing that I can think of to write about. And then it's like, write anyway. And then all of a sudden, some, not every time, sometimes there, there are shorter entries, but sometimes I found, oh, all of a sudden there's a lot to write about that wasn't there. So it's, yeah, words are, powerful <laughs> i think you know i didn't know which direction this conversation was going to go but it seems we're both kind of on a writing journey right now um and yeah there's a reason like seth godin recommends blogging every day and it's not just about like it is about possibly building an audience it is about possibly finding your 1000 true fans, but it's also about when you write every day, when you write things down in general, they become more real. Like they become more concrete versus ideas that are kind of ephemeral floating through the air, maybe great ideas, but they're, there's nothing to like show for them. Whereas like writing consistently, there's something to show and it kind of helps. Yeah. Like you said, synthesize the ideas so that then there's something to like grow from. Um, and, and a concrete thing I experienced recently was a conversation I had with my dad and then wrote a blog post about that. And then one of my built-in automatic fans, my mom, um, read that. And, and my dad and mom got divorced when I was a kid. Um, but, and this was about my, you know, my father's, so that side of the family. And she mentioned, she, she said, you know, I didn't know about that particular story. You should write a play about it. And so then it was kind of in the back of my head. And then there's this, commission coming up so it's an opportunity it's no guarantee i'm going to get it but based on what they're looking for i was like oh i can write a piece i can write that piece that's kind of all of a sudden in my head um for that and then with that that's another writing thing i 
And then this time I had more of an idea than I do sometimes when I start plays. Um, and then that becomes words on a paper. I have more writing to do for that one, but it's, yeah, that experience was both putting ideas down that came from a conversation with somebody else, sharing that publicly. And then, no, it wasn't, it wasn't Steven Spielberg seeing that and saying, hey, I wanna make a movie out of that. It was my mom. So it was like a direct person kind of like, hey, why don't you write a play? And it's like, yeah, why not? That is a good idea. And then now working on that piece. And regardless of what happens with the commission, that's something, that piece is gonna be something that I'm gonna do something with for sure. Um, and I can say that because I've written it down. So yeah, it's like thoughts become things. So when you write thoughts, they literally become like writings. And then there's something powerful about that. And there's a quote about, it's called spelling for a reason. So be careful about what you say because you cast spells with words. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I, I hope you write the um, the post thoughts become things. I'd love to read that one. Uh, I like the idea of, I guess, finding some consistency in the work we choose to do. And I think, you know, whether that's writing, whether that is, you know, making music, practicing your instrument, whatever your instrument might be, whether it's, you know, the piano, whether it's your singing, whether it's the guitar, whether your instrument is your body and it's like movement and dance. I think there's something about doing it consistently that helps us to discover our voice and to develop our voice. And that sometimes it just takes kind of laying that stuff out on the page, whatever the page means for you to practice doing it and to see what you have. I love the idea that, that you sort of talked about with your mum is that sometimes you have to write something down or share an idea to let it out in the universe and see how the universe wants to respond to it because sometimes it's important for us to practice telling our stories. We don't necessarily know which stories or which part of our stories are most useful to other people. Um, you and I, you know, we have decades worth of experiences, you know, tucked away in the back of our head and, and we sometimes forget all the stories we've got. We don't necessarily remember that this could be really useful for somebody, for somebody or to really useful to express an idea. And I love the idea of, you know, doing that. I was, this was a part of my synthesizing a podcast. I was listening to an interview with Paul McCartney last week. And Paul was talking a little bit about the days when he and the Beatles first went to Hamburg, or I think it was in Germany, and they did... They did a few like, stints in, in Hamburg over the course of three years. And it struck me that when, when they left Liverpool to go to Germany that first time, they were just a pretty average cover band in, mm -hmm. in, in Liverpool. And, and they got booked to go and play at various, various places in Hamburg. And that somehow they went to Germany 
as this band that called themselves the Beatles. And then when they, the, when they finished their last season in Germany three years later, they actually were the band that we knew as the Beatles. Uh-huh. But somewhere in there through that experience, through putting themselves through what were difficult circumstances sometimes, but also just playing really regularly in front of new audiences and having to develop audiences in a new place. They really found out who they were and they developed their voices. And I don't know how much of their initial songwriting they started there, but they seemed to know who they were as, as individual artists and as a band by the time they got to the end of that stage. So you know, three years right now seems like a long time, but if you and I spent the next three years just developing our voice, I mean, it could, could be really interesting what, we, what we'd learn about ourselves and what the world could learn about us in that amount of time. Yeah, and I think that goes back to your point of wanting a bigger audience. And it's like, well, if you want a bigger audience, be the bigger version of yourself. Like, instead of trying to grow your audience, grow yourself. Like, you know what I mean? Um, That's like really what it's about. Become the Beatles, you know? Um, We both read uh, Brag Better recently, and she kind of talks about that at one point, the idea of naming yourself. And it can be, like you can name yourself something that you're you're aspiring to. Like you kind of have to do that a little bit. Yeah, and um, Chase Jarvis. I don't know if you're familiar with Chase Jarvis. He has a a podcast and a company called Creative Live. He uh, wrote a book. I think it was called Creative Calling. And he, let's see if I can remember this. I think he says you need to do the verb to become the noun so yes you need to write if you want to be a writer right you need to take photos if you want to be a photographer uh you can't really claim to i can't complain to sorry cannot complain i can't claim i can't claim to be a a composer if i'm not composing music Mm -hmm. but by virtue of the fact of starting to, to write stuff down or record music, then I am a composer. I might not be a great composer to start off with, but at least I'm on that composing journey. And so I think that sort of feeds into this as well. And this is something that you and I spoke about earlier in the week, actually, but I think it's really quite crucial to understand what stories people are saying or, or, or can tell about us because this is another idea like it's I, I can say to a colleague um you should listen to the bushwick variety podcast because it's cool alec the third's a great guy he's a great host he has good guests that recommendation is hopefully worth something if my colleague values my opinion but i haven't really created a hook that's going to stick with him like three days later he might say oh yeah Matthew recommended a podcast it was by someone called something but if we develop a story or if I know a story about you that I can tell him then he'll be like 
oh yeah he's the guy from bushwick that did that thing that was really interesting i'd like to know more about that guy mm-hmm. and so we develop these stories partly by writing them down and seeing which ones stick with people like that story you wrote down uh stuck out to your mum. she thought this is interesting this is worthy of you know developing it and it's interesting to think about what stories people can what stories are exist around us and the things we do that people can use to help spread our message for us mm-hmm. yeah that's uh that's the big thing i've been kind of naming myself now is like storyteller um and you are a storyteller too understanding like what that means and all the different ways you can do it for you uh kind of what what's kind of your dream for like what's next and that's kind of a big question um i've found recently by kind of like Jen talked about it, not not really being a New Year's resolution person. I have found over the last few years, there's been something powerful about setting intentions for the next one, for like the next year, three, five, ten, and then kind of coming back to that every year. And like last year, surprisingly, a lot of the things that I wanted to do happened in a different way than I could have imagined, but they did actually happen. And as far as writing specifically, like playwriting, that one was one that like exceeded my goals because I kind of wanted to finish some stuff I was already working on or just kind of wanted to move it forward. And I completed two new plays last year. And, you know, that was like had to do with the time that we were in and the time that I had. But all of a sudden, that being in Big Ideas Lab with you, just a number of things happened last year that kind of clarified my goals to where it's not that I didn't have like big goals before. It's in some ways those goals, like my mind has like grown a little bit. I've gotten more specific to where now some of those goals that I had before do look small in a way um, because I wasn't thinking big enough. I was like thinking with a more limited mindset, if that makes sense. Yeah. So the question I remember is what do I want to, what do I want to do? What do I see my future look like or what do I want to be building? But before I get to that, I want to just like acknowledge what, you said, and we talked about if you want to be the noun, do the verb. I mean, I'm not sure how long you've been writing plays for, but there was a time when you said, I wish I was a playwright and you weren't really writing plays. And then last year, you weren't just thinking about being a playwright. You actually wrote two plays. I mean, that's phenomenal. That's a, it's a huge jump from wanting to be a playwright to having written two plays in one year. And what's interesting is that the, the huge jump is much more psychological than it is actually like 
the yeah. first time you the first time you said I want to be a playwright, you could have sat down with a piece of paper exactly. and a pencil and go for it, right? Exactly. Um, and in fact, like with that, there have been like little stints and starts and smaller. Like it's not that I hadn't written anything before, but not like this is the first time where it's like, okay, what are you waiting for? Like, do you want to do these? Like, do you still want to do that? Then guess what? Like, you don't need somebody to award you <laughs> like something. Um, you just have to write the pages. Like, it's that simple, you know? But being able to um, imagine a bigger future for yourself, I think that's yeah, you know, that's really true. something that's really valuable. And I think that, that's something that I've been working on as well. Uh, I spent the last five years during playing music for musicals, the last five years here in Australia. And that had been a real professional dream of mine. I was the assistant musical director on a bunch of projects. And I guess one of the things that I realized, you know, really after I got my first gig as an assistant musical director is that there's only really two, maybe three extra rungs on that ladder. Then you kind of like tapped out. There's the musical director above me, a musical supervisor above them, and perhaps in like an international music supervisor above them. But I was already getting to do most of the stuff that I really enjoyed and looked forward to about the job. And as the assistant, you have a lot less responsibility. You do have to go to a lot less meetings. So I was kind of pretty set at that level. But I did also recognize that I was, this is getting back to another theme we talked about. I was showing up six days a week, eight shows a week, building something that was essentially an asset for somebody else. And that sure, I was doing work that I enjoyed. I was getting paid pretty handsomely for it. But at the end of the week, once I'd spent the money I'd earned, there wasn't anything left to, to show for it. And so I was doing the podcasting and doing some of the blogging in the background then, trying to build things that build things that'll last. That's kind of my theme for this year, build things that last. And I mean, another part of my story is before I did that, I spent the rest of my career basically as a a pianist, an accompanist, a musical director for smaller like cabaret shows. I really like cabaret because I like connecting people. I like connecting people to ideas and songs and and the intimacy of a cabaret room and the chance where the performer has to like tell their own stories and and like break through that fourth wall and actually engage with the audience is something that I like a lot. And I was doing that a lot. And so I got pretty good at my role in it. And I was able to bring a lot as a musical director to those shows. And I was kind of unofficially directing some of the shows that I was helping do. I was trying to help these performers make the best shows they could. But there was something about that cabaret environment that even when you created the best thing you could, you could create, the room like maxes out at, you know, in the room in the city that I was playing in, you know, you feel that cabaret room, there's 60 or 80 people there and your, your capacity for earning is pretty low and there wasn't a clear path from that to something bigger. And also 
we were trying to work so hard on the creative part of it, but we just really weren't focusing on the business side of it. And what I've found is that there were artists that I'd work with from show to show, season to season, but it felt like we were sort of starting from step one every time we started creating a new show. Mm-hmm. And so we'd spend weeks or months preparing the show. And then a few weeks before the gig, we'd try to ramp up our marketing and I'm saying inverted commas, which was basically like letting all your friends know you've got a show coming on and, and really hoping that they're going to show up and, and buy tickets rather than, I mean, it's a small number, but if you see 80 people over the course of five nights, that's 400 people. Technically, if they like what you do, that's an audience of 400 people that you ought to be able to invite to the next show, but we just really weren't doing that. And so I guess I've felt like part of my, my purpose is to be a teacher and in that situation, I was trying to teach the music and creative side. And then I realized, well, maybe if I learned to understand the business side of, of show business, that maybe I could help teach that. And that instead of helping people make great shows, I could get to the stage where I could help them have great careers. And so, you know, it's been something that it's been a long journey for me learning sort of in the background while I've been doing other stuff as well. Um, but I really came to the idea that I wanted to help people build sustainable careers that really, you know, that sustain them creatively, sustain, sustain them emotionally, because being a creative, being an artist can be hard and sustain them financially so that they can keep doing more of what's important to them. Then last year happened and my job as an assistant musical director dried up overnight and I found myself with a lot more time on my hands and And so I got to think about what did I want to do next? And part of my journey last year was realizing that I was used to playing the piano every day. And that was something that I did and I enjoyed it. But when I stopped doing it every day, I realized that I didn't miss it as much as I thought that maybe I would. And so I thought, well, maybe my, maybe my next step is not to sort of scramble to find what, my next piano playing job is maybe it's to try and work out what this vision for my future is going to be. So as you mentioned, we um, showed up in the big ideas lab together. And so that gave me more opportunity to think about how could I teach these ideas that I'm having. And I've also been exploring how can I turn this idea into a business, a business so that I take it a little bit more seriously so I can help other people take it a bit more seriously And so that I can grow this idea and this way of supporting artists and creatives so that I can reach more people and that maybe it can, I can build this to business. My plan is over the next, you know, few years that I build this business to a point where it not only sustains me, but it sustains three or four other people as well. So that I've got a team that are creating ideas or generating ideas and exploring ideas together. And that between us, we can reach, you know, I don't know. I don't have a number, but like reach more and more artists out the world in the world and help them build careers that make sense for them, that support, help them support and sustain themselves and share this idea about how can we be creating work that makes assets for us rather than just sort of building assets for other people. That was a long-winded answer. No, that's a good answer, though. 
Um, so speaking of, of that though, and speaking of, even though obviously, so yeah, no, <laughs> where's the best place for people to find you, um, and subscribe and stay abreast to, to what you're up to. Cause I was going to ask like the social media thing, but I think what we're getting at is there are better ways for people to stay in touch with you. Yeah, you could follow me on Instagram, but I'm not really going to contribute anything to your Instagram experience. But certainly I would love for you to check out my blog, which is at theinfinitecreative.substack.com. That's probably the most direct way to get there. There's an opportunity to read what I've written. There'll be a page that comes up straight away that encourages you to subscribe. You can choose to do that or not. But if you do, you hear from me every day that I put my butt in the chair and start typing. And uh, hopefully that there'll be some new episodes coming down the, um, the line with my podcast, which is called Studio Time. And you can find that in the same place that you're listening to this podcast right now. True, true. Uh, and is there anything else? Well, actually, one more question to that, because I know um, a little bit about the program that what you're working on for people to stay abreast of that, will you share information about that on your blog? Um, will you share that on your podcast? How will people find out about that? Yeah. So I'm running a preview of my workshop called Audience by Design, which is designed to help uh, creatives and artists build an audience asset that will support them to do the work that's you know, meaningful to them. Uh, yes. The best place to to stay in touch with me to find out about that at this point is that infinitecreative.substack.com blog, or I will definitely be talking about it once I'm opening it up to you know, the general public or to other creatives. Um, I'll mention that on the podcast at studio time as well. Cool. Um, and is there anything else that you want to talk about today? Um, no, I think we've covered it a lot. Uh, we've covered, you know, when this is, I want to thank you for inviting me to be on your podcast. This is only the second podcast interview I've ever given. So I'm, you know, experiencing what it's like to be in the other chair. And before we sat down, I thought, I don't know if I've got enough stories to, to fill the whole episode with, but uh, this conversation has been great. And you've, you know, brought up a, a lot of, you know, really interesting themes and ideas that I've enjoyed chatting with you about. Likewise, likewise. And where was the other podcast you were on? It was a few years ago. It was a few years ago. It was with a, a colleague of mine called Scott Perry, and I can't remember the title of it right now. <laughs> um, all right. And do you have any final parting thoughts, anything on your mind that you'd like to share today? In this moment to whoever is listening to this whenever and wherever they are well the idea that i've been thinking about in the last 24 hours um alec is that this time for a lot of people like you and i who consider ourselves creatives and artists and performing artists has been a time of disruption and a time of of transition and I was reflecting yesterday that I've spoken to a, a number of people here in Australia who 
have been in the theatre field who have started to go back to work because the theatre is opening up again in Australia. And as excited as they were to, to get back to work, because they were looking forward to getting back to that feeling that they, you know, loved from being in this industry. Each of them found that when they came back to work after this break, it felt different to what they were expecting. And it wasn't necessarily bad, but it wasn't, it wasn't exactly what they were expecting. And I think partly sometimes we, our expectations, we build up our expectations to be a little bit more than what they are. But I think that even if we're going back to the same jobs, I think we're going to be coming back to them as different people. And so I think that's going to be interesting to explore. And I know that you'll have a lot of people listening that live in North America. And so, you know, you're still a little while out before theater productions really ramp up and again, but I think it's going to be, it's going to be interesting for our industry to see what that's like when people get back to work and, and experience how this is different after everything that's happened and, how we feel about it and and what our intentions are and motivations moving forward. So I'm really interested in exploring that and, and seeing what happens. Yeah, I'm looking forward to right now as well. Um, Matthew, I wanna thank you for sitting down with me. It's always a pleasure. Um, it was good seeing you in that book club last week. Yeah, um, and of course, uh, you know, I'm enjoying working with you in that preview that you mentioned right now. And I'll be sure to, to share that as well here um, when that goes more public. So thank you very much. Thank you. So that was my conversation with Matthew Carey. Um, check out the links in the show notes to sign up for Audience by Design. The sign-up is live now, available to sign up. Also subscribe to Infinite Creative and Studio Time Podcast. Those links are also in the show notes. Thank you, as always, for listening to this podcast. Um, And if you enjoy what you are listening to here, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. I very much appreciate your ears. Um, As I said in last episode, I'm going to every Monday be releasing episodes and maybe occasionally releasing two a week but going to one a week for a while um so thank you very much for listening i hope you enjoyed that um you can also sign up for my mailing list um the link for that is in the show notes as well thank you very much um i hope that you will create whatever it is that is in your heart right now whatever's on your mind i hope you will make it real i hope you will build that thing and share it with the world And then I hope you will um, have a great email list where you can build your audience and communicate with your audience. And the thing about that is when you do that, it's outside of the control of social media. Um, So that's like kind of the big idea. But you listen to the podcast. You came this far. So you know what to do. Um, Subscribe, rate, review, um, sign up for Audience by Design if that interests you, um, and subscribe to The Infinite Creative. And I hope that you will be infinitely creative because you are. So reflect that. And have a great week. We are halfway through March. 
and I just got my second vaccine, so my arm's a little bit sore, but uh, I'm looking forward to turning a new leaf and, you know, making every day count, because it does. I'll talk to you soon. Peace. Peace.